Well, my name's uh, Ben Watkins. I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, it's uh, my opportunity just to bring to you the Word of God. We're continuing on our Name Above All Names series. Now, I don't know if you're familiar uh, with the writings of the great kind of human observationist Roger Hargreaves. He's written many books, loads and loads, and you probably might know them as Mr. Men or Little Miss um, books. Let me read you, I'll give you some of the titles of things that he's written. So Mr. Bump is a classic, Little Miss Giggles, uh, Mr. Topsy Turvy, and also the, the excellent Little Miss Scatterbrain. But let me read to you from my favorite one, Mr. Messy, and the quote will will come up for you as well. Mr. Messy was the messiest person you have ever met in your whole life. I know some of you are nudging each other on the sofa at this moment in time. He looked messy because he was messy in everything he did. You could always tell where Mr. Messy had been because he left a trail of messy fingerprints wherever he had been. Oh yes, Mr. Messy was messy by name, messy by nature. You see, his name revealed his nature and his nature gave him his name. It's the same with God. Now, we're going to return to Mr. Messy a little bit later on. But God, throughout the scriptures, reveals his nature through his name. So we've been looking at uh, uh, how God has revealed himself to his people, particularly in the Old Testament, particularly with Moses giving himself the name Yahweh, his kind of covenant relationship name. But then God begins to extend that name. It's called a, a compound name. He begins to add to it and bring color and life to it. So last week, uh, John Wilthy preached on the Lord is our banner. We've also heard the Lord is our healer. The Lord is our provider. These names reveal his his nature. You see, it's really important that we understand this is revelation. It's not something you can discover through uh, life experience or scientific experimentation. God has revealed something that we wouldn't otherwise understood about him. And that makes him radically different from all the other gods of history. You see, um, to the Israelites, they were surrounded by a pagan people. And they had no sense of revelation of what those other gods did, except God spoke. God revealed. Revealed his name. God showed them what he was like. And so our name for today is this Yahweh M Kadesh. Yahweh M Kadesh. It means the Lord that sanctifies or the Lord who makes you holy. And we find that God reveals this in two verses. So verses uh, so Exodus 31. And Leviticus 20. So Exodus 31 says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, that's the seventh day of the week, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Leviticus 20, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You see, through Israel's relationship with God, through their devotion and obedience to his commandments, 
They were to reflect the glorious nature of the holiness of God. But God makes it really clear it is only through their relationship with him that they could be his holy people. It was his holy presence that makes them holy. So Andrew Wilson says this about God's name, Yahweh Kadesh. He says, our holiness does not depend on us, but on God. It was revealed to them that Yahweh was the one who made them holy and that this was his name, an unchanging feature of his character. No matter where you live in history, you are only made holy by God. Yahweh Umkadesh means that knowing God leaves you changed. Holy, set apart for him and his purposes alone. His touch makes you holier. And this has been the experience throughout history. And if you read the life of Jesus, this happened time and time and time again. You see, to know God, the living God, the creator God, to know the holy one is to become like him. To know him is to become like him. So I just want to show you how this works in the the life of a person. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to look at how Isaiah encounters God, and he meets Yahweh Nkadesh. He meets the sanctifying, holying nature of God. So grab your Bibles, and the verses will also come up on the screen. So Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah in this moment is in, the, in Jerusalem's temple, the holy of holies, the dwelling place of God, the presence of God. It says, above him stood the seraphim. And each of these seraphim had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet. And with the two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In this moment, this moment of national grief over a king who's Godliness had declined massively. Isaiah encounters the living God. He sees the glory of the living God, high and lifted up, seated upon a throne. You see, through Isaiah's eyes, we see the holiness of Yahweh. And so if you were to read throughout Isaiah, it's no wonder that from this moment, he begins to continually refer to God as the Holy One of Israel. Now, in terms of holiness, it's important that we don't get caged into the assumption that it just means kind of moral perfection or correctness. Actually, the way the Bible talks about holiness is so much richer and diverse and bigger than that sense of purity. It's about God's majesty. It's about his power and his authority. It's the transcendent reality of his splendor. Or as Alec Matea writes, it is the total and unique, uh, it is his total and unique moral majesty. 
God is goodness times 1,000. He is the source of life and goodness. And the angels sing, holy, holy, holy. Why? Because nothing compares or comes close to him. And guess what? As John in the book of Revelation, he looks into heaven. He sees heaven and the angels are singing again and again and again. 800 years later in terms of the time span of the Bible, the angels just keep singing, holy, holy, holy is the living God. In Revelation, Jesus' holiness is compared to the Son. He lives in unapproachable light. And so for Isaiah in this moment, what is going on? He has moved from 93 million miles away in the warmth of the sun in Israel. And God has almost teleported him, transported him right next to the blazing furnace of the sun itself. He has seen the very holiness of God. He is experiencing the full intensity of God's holy presence. So what does that do to him? What happens to him in this moment? Let's let's read on. Verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The temple where Isaiah was, built by Solomon, it was probably the most glorious, well-built structure in Jerusalem at that time, at the very presence and voice of God, this glorious, well-built, strong, uh, on strong foundations, this building begins to shake with the reality of God's holy presence. But notice Isaiah isn't quaking. Isaiah is broken. He is undone. Here, Isaiah sees God and then he immediately sees himself. Not just himself, but he sees his whole community and society, his relationships in the mirror of God's majesty. The weight of God's presence reveals his frailty. R.C. Sproul, who's written an amazing book called The Holiness of God, comments in this way. In, that, in this single moment, speaking of Isaiah, in this single moment, all of his self-esteem was shattered. In a brief second, he was exposed, made naked beneath the gaze of the absolute standard of holiness. As long as Isaiah could compare himself to other mortals, he was able to sustain a lofty opinion of his own character. The instant he measured himself by the ultimate standard, he was destroyed, morally and spiritually annihilated. He was undone. He came apart, and the sudden realization of ruin was linked to Isaiah's 
mouth. You see, in order to understand, see, why does he say my lips are unclean? See, Isaiah is the prophet in Israel. He's the guy. He is the one who speaks for God. He is the one who, whose life is meant to be all together, who's meant to speak and proclaim and counsel his people with the very words from God's throne. It was his mouth that made him. But what does he see in light of God's holiness? To Isaiah now, his breath stinks and his teeth are decaying. He's undone. You see, when we see the holiness of God, we see our need for his sanctifying touch. When we see his brilliance, we see our brokenness. And so Isaiah, in this moment, he would rather die than stay here. It is utterly unbearable. His sin cannot bear the radiant goodness of God. I wish I could say that's never happened to me. But that would be a lie. I wish I could say I've never had such an encounter with God, but that wouldn't be true. Although it's not of the intensity of Isaiah, this has happened to me. It was June last year, and it was a Monday morning. I was doing the washing up, and I began to experience this overwhelming sense of the holy presence of God. It was a profound awareness of my sin, and I began to feel this sense of burden and weight and pressure and kind of unbearable and uncomfortable sensation. And, it, and all I can say was that God's finger, it was like God's finger was impressing something upon me. And I broke down. There was this moment, I remember Amy came down and I just, I just started to weep. God has, was putting his finger on an area in my life like he did with Isaiah. And for the rest of that day, I just wept. I, I went to bed. I was just broken. God's holiness, God's standard, God's righteousness, my life and his were at a conflict and I, I was uh, my strength was gone and God's holiness impressed upon me my need for his sanctifying touch you see there was an area in my life that I had tolerated sin and in the searchlight of his holiness I was undone I emailed Mark and over the next few kind of weeks and months we just began to unpack and God did a work in me. I was broken in that moment. And then God made me new. You see, if I can just take you through, that experience was both unbearable and wonderful all at the same time. It was both deeply uncomfortable, but it was also good. Why? Because God came incredibly close in that moment. I began to see God as Yahweh mm, Kadesh. 
And that's just what happens to Isaiah. So let's, let's read on, verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. The angel goes over, takes out the fire that was in the temple, and that fire operated as a way of purifying God's people through sacrifice. That was what the fire was there for. So like a precious metal that gets refined through fire, the angel takes this fire and touches it to the place of Isaiah's brokenness. He was sanctified through fire. Now, what Isaiah experiences in this moment is a taster of what he would later prophesy about through the servant of the Lord. Isaiah is experiencing personally what Jesus makes available for all of us. Isaiah in this moment is experiencing the sanctifying touch of God, which Jesus has won for each of us. So let me read you Hebrews 10 verse 10. It says, we have all been sanctified. So those who have put their faith in Christ have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, what Jesus did on the cross was offer for you and me the eternal sanctifying touch of God. You see, the fire for Isaiah became the inferno of the cross. For Jesus made this ultimate sacrifice to sanctify you and me. See, in our moment, in this passage, Isaiah was crushed. Jesus got crucified. Isaiah, in our moment, wanted to die. Jesus chose to die. Isaiah, in our moment, saw his ugliness. On the cross, all your ugliness and mine was put onto the shoulders of Jesus, and he suffered once and for all to sanctify us. The cross is the ultimate revelation of Yahweh Kadesh. So for anyone, you, me, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can know the sanctifying, purifying, holy touch of God. So my encouragement to you this morning is come to Jesus. My encouragement to you is bring your sin to Jesus. Bring your brokenness to Jesus. I dare you. Bring it to him. Whatever it is, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how habitual it has been, doesn't matter how dark or demonic, bring it to him and he will clean you. I dare you. John Owen, the great Puritan, said, I dare anyone who can show me their sin spreads out for all eternity, I will show you the endless, infinite, glorious grace of God that will go further. Bring your sin to Jesus, for he has already paid for it all.
Now, I want us to get clear, how, how does this work for you and for me? How does God sanctify us? How does God make us holy? What does that look like? The New Testament speaks so much about what God does for us. So we're going to look at one particular verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the writings of Paul, and he goes into great and really helpful detail in this verse. So 1 Corinthians 1 Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So first, Paul says anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what your background is, as he says, everyone who called, it says anyone who's put their faith in this, you have been sanctified. You have been made holy before the living God. Your identity, your position before God is as a holy one. As Mark has already said, you are a saint. You are holy before the living God. You see, through Christ, the holy God has made you utterly acceptable for all time before his presence. Jesus has paid for all your sin once and for all, and the Spirit has made you new. I am a saint. I am holy. I have his divine nature. I am no longer, you are no longer a sinner if you are in Christ. And so all that happens in a moment. It's called conversion. God sanctified me, made me holy. So let's return to Mr. Messi for just this moment. Let's return to him. Now in Mr. Messi's story, Mr. Neat and Mr. Tidy rock up. And what do they begin to do? They begin to tidy up his house, tidy up his garden, tidy up Mr. Messi's life. And then what do they do? They set their sights on Mr. Messi. They wash and they brush and they scrub. And after they are finished, he looks completely different. Just check your screen. And this is what Mr. Messi says. Uh, actually, this is what the book says. He looked the opposite of Messi. He looked at himself in the mirror and said, you know what I'm going to have to do now? He said with a rather fierce voice, Mr. Neat and Mr. Tidy looked worried. I am going to have to change my name. He was no longer what he was. You are no longer what you were. Mr. Messi had become Mr. Neat. You are no longer Mr. or Mrs. Messi. You are holy before the living God. So let me ask you some questions. What do you call yourself? Does it line up with how God says you are? Or maybe you have believed some lies. What lies are you believing about who you are before God? So that's conversion. I want to now talk about construction. 
For Paul talks about that again in our verse. So let's go back to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. He says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. You are sanctified and you are becoming holy. So I am holy, but I am becoming holy. For Hebrews 10:14 says this, for by a single offering on the cross, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I am both perfect and becoming perfect. I am holy and becoming holy. Now you might be thinking, Ben, you are not making any sense whatsoever. So let me let me illustrate to help you with this kind of paradox. So um, about five five or so years ago, me and Amy bought our house that we live in. And we moved in, I think it was January the 16th, we moved in. And the day that that was completed, the day that the documents were signed, the money was withdrawn, that house was ours. It belonged to us. Every brick, every bit in the garden, every dodgy bit of wallpaper, the, the, the stain that was on the, the ceiling, um, in the lounge, the dodgy carpets, the rubbish conservatory roof, and all the other good bits, the big garden, the shed, the garage, all those kind of things. The moment that um, the deal was completed, that house was our home. It belonged to us. It was our place. And so we moved in. But over time, that our home also became more like our home. That our home, we began to rip off the dodgy wallpaper. We began to fix the stain in the ceiling. We, we brought our friend in with his tractor and digger to dig out the garden and, and level it up. We put a new shed in. We painted the walls. We re-roofed the conservatory. Now, from day one, it was our home. But over time, it became more our home. Our influence within that home grew. It was fixed. It was redecorated. It was renovated and restored. You see, the moment you become a Christian, you are God's home. You are God's child, adopted. You are holy, acceptable, perfect before him forever. You are his. He has paid it all. The legal stuff is done. You belong to him. And so he moves in. That's what the Bible, the Bible taught, that the Holy Spirit, we become his dwelling place. But does my life bear the resemblance of his holy temple? Does, do, does my life bear the full reality of the nature of Jesus? No. And so what does Holy Spirit begin to do? He begins to redecorate. He begins to renovate. He begins to rip things up. He begins to cover things over. He begins to transform and change. He begins to move rooms around. He begins to patch things up, rewire things, um, level things, get rid of things, bring new things in. Why? Because he is making you more and more like his home. He is forming you forever into the likeness of Jesus. I was his child the moment I gave my life to Jesus. I was his, adopted into his family, but now the Holy Spirit is making me more and more in his likeness. 
You see, there's a really important thing that the Bible says again and again and again. It's this, that it is God's presence in our lives that renovates us, that makes us holy. Holiness without the active presence of God is just religion or at worst legalism. And so the Bible talks about this way of walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, living with a sensitive conscience day by day in step with him. So just yesterday, um, I, was just chatting, uh, I was just chatting with Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, there's something I don't like about my character. I've reacted in a certain way to one of my kids. And so what do I do? I say, Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Help me. I want to walk in step with you. Help me. What's, what's really going on? Make me new. Relational holiness. See, I was already holy, but he is making me more and more in the image of his son. So let me ask you some questions. What helps you connect with the Holy Spirit? What's your relationship like with Holy Spirit? How can you connect with him today see the holy spirit doesn't just want to remove things he wants to bring things into our lives so that's what we call paul calls in galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness so what fruit of the holy spirit do you want to join in with today what do you need to grow in? how can you connect with him in that or what rooms in your life won't you let God redecorate? And why is that? What's broken in your house that you are tolerating that actually God wants to get his hands on? And another helpful question, like I mentioned in my story, who are you letting into your house so they can see how the renovation is going? That's a really important part. That's why God puts us in church family. Why? So we can begin to see together how God is transforming and changing us. I love what it says in Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul says this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began his sanctifying, changing, renewing work he will bring it to completion. Let me finish. Because actually in our story, God wasn't finished with Isaiah. He says this in verse 8 and 9. <clears throat> I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, I am here. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. I love what R.C. Sproul says in comment here. He says, there is a pattern here. God appears. People quake in terror. God forgives and heals. Then God sends. From brokenness to mission is the human pattern. From brokenness to mission 
is the human pattern. See, God is not just interested in making your life shiny and new. He wants to make your life a display for all the world. He wants to have a bride, have a people who such display his holy splendor and moral purity and his grandeur and greatness that the world looks upon them and says, God is real. And so as we go out, God's intention for you is not just to heal you, but to use you to bring his holy glory throughout all the earth. You see, God's name, God's nature hasn't changed. He still makes us new. Band, do you want to come up? So I just want to finish by rewriting those words that we started this morning from the Mr. Messy book. Let me read this to you. God is the holiest person you have ever met in your whole life. He is utterly pure and glorious because he is holy. Everything he does is holy. You can always tell where God has been Because he leaves a trail of holy people, lives stained with his purity wherever he has been. He is so good that he takes broken, messed up people and changes the world through them. Oh yes, he is God the sanctifier by name and the sanctifier by nature.